Welcome to another episode of This Engineering Life, the undergraduate series. I'm Rebecca Simmons, an associate professor of the practice in mechanical engineering and material science at Duke University. I'm joined with Grant, Sydney, Priya, Fran, and Reyna, all undergraduate engineering students also at Duke. In this episode, we're talking all about clubs and societies that you can join while you're an undergraduate student. There are so many options, and by talking with students and our guest expert, Jennifer Ganley, you'll hear a little bit more about what some of our clubs do and maybe what might be of interest to you. Thank you for joining. Hello, everybody. My name is Fran Romano, and I'm here today with Alex Shu, who is a senior studying ECCS and getting a certificate in INE. And he's a friend of mine. Welcome to the show, Alex. Thank you, Fran. Glad to be here. So Alex is here today because he is the ex-president of AMA Club, which I like to call Drone Club. So can you tell me a little bit about AMA? Yeah, sure thing. So AMA stands for the Academy of Model Aeronautics. And at Duke, we are the drone club. Essentially, what we do is we design, build, and fly drones on campus, and as well as um, at an off-campus location in the Duke Forest, where we have a bigger space. This year, we're going to compete in the SUAS competition that's being run by AVSI, which is an industry organization for autonomous system development. It's a student unmanned aerial systems competition, and it's going to be really exciting. It's something that we haven't done before in the past, so we're really excited about that. But in addition to that, we also fund a lot of student projects. So for all those students who have ideas about building drones or ideas that could be systems based off of drones, we'd love to fund those projects and see students work on those. That's super great. And I personally have done one of those student projects through you guys. So thank you. Yeah, Um, the project was amazing. Those two things, so I'm interested in both of those things. The first is the competition. Isn't there some like very large payload you need to carry out into the middle of the ocean? Is that the same competition? So that's the XPRIZE competition that Dr. Brooke is actually um, running. So this competition that as a club we're competing in is kind of similar in that there's a mission task. But for us, the mission is to do a package delivery. And the package would be actually on a ground vehicle. And that ground vehicle will be dropped by the drone to a certain location. And that ground vehicle will then drive autonomously to the final delivery location. Yeah, that sounds like really exciting work. And frankly, I wouldn't even know how to get started on a lot of that. Which leads me to my next question. If I am someone who just wants to build a drone, where do I start? Sure, yeah. So we have a lot of great resources as a club, and we also have a lot of expertise. So we have a a room in the foundry where we work out of, and we have meetings every week. So we'll be posting information through two groups as well. But if you are interested in building drones, definitely come to our meetings, and we'll help you get started. And we also have a lot of great funding opportunities for your projects. That's awesome. One question I had is you always get like a big cohort of freshmen every year who are looking for clubs. What does AMA specifically do with freshmen who are new to drones? Since we're so early in the semester right now, that's actually something we're going through right now. So we have a lot of people who have no prior experience to building or flying drones, and they're definitely welcome to be in the club And what we do in the beginning is to teach everybody the basics about drone design, drone building, different types of drones, 
as well as the basics of how to fly a truck. We have a community member who comes into our club meetings, and he is very experienced with RC aircraft. And he brings in a lot of expertise and know-how in terms of how to pilot drones manually. So he's a great resource uh, in terms of teaching us how to fly drones. In addition to that, we also have simulators. So if you're a little bit worried about flying a real drone in real life, crashing it, we have these great simulators that make it very realistic in terms of the types of things you might experience when flying a real drone. But this would be in the computer and you would be using actually a real transmitter, so like a real controller. So it's going to be a very similar experience. These are great things to practice on. That's super cool. And I just want to clarify to the audience here. I do fly drones myself, but for a while I've been flying the like off the shelf drones that if you let go of the controller, the drone will stay in space where it is and hover. But the drones that Alex is talking about, if you let go of the controller, the drone will fall out of the sky. So you need to be a very skilled pilot to make sure that that doesn't happen. It's a very cool skill to have. And if you go on YouTube and look up like FPV drone shots, people are getting really into like the cinematic views that you can get from a drone that you have total control over. So it's a space I'm really excited about as well. The last question I have for you is clearly you're, you've been very involved in the club. You're president last year. What do you think like the lasting impact of the club or some like big takeaway you got from your experience there will be? I actually joined the club my freshman year, so I've been with the club quite some time now, and it's been a great experience. That comes from different aspects. So the first aspect is being able to see some of the theory, the engineering theory that I learned in the classroom be put into action in real life in designing a real system that might actually do something useful for people. And the second aspect of it is being more involved with the Pratt community. You know, like uh, as a Pratt club, we have a lot of connections with the Duke alumni groups, as well as the Pratt School of Engineering in general. And being more involved with that community in general has really enriched like my Duke experience. And at the end of the year, we have a presentation to the Duke alumni. It's always great to see them being involved as well with the students and take their questions and also be able to, to interact with them and see what life is like after Duke as well. That's great to hear. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I hope everyone listening to this decides to come out to meetings and join AMA Club. But I really appreciate your time, Alex. Yeah, thank you for having me. Hey, everybody. I am Fran once again, and I am here with the president and vice president of the Duke Aero Club. Welcome to the show. I have J.D. Eng here, who's a senior studying MECI and pursuing a certificate in aerospace, and Jackson Kennedy, who is also MECI, pursuing a certificate in aerospace and innovation and entrepreneurship. Welcome to the show, you guys. Yeah, it's great thank to be here. You. Thanks for having us. So we were talking right before recording this, that Arrow is on the up and coming right now. And so I want you guys to talk a little about what is Arrow and why it's up and coming right now. Yeah, so I can give a little bit about our history. The group itself, Duke Arrow, was founded quite a few years ago. It was right around 2007 where we originally became a club, but it was all aviation focused. So they did a bunch of model aeronautics. We rebranded as a rocketry team Fairly recently, 2017 was the first year that we started doing rocketry. And then since then, it was kind of a core group of students at the time who decided to make that transition over to the different subject area. From there, you know, when we came in 2018 freshman year, group was still kind of getting on its feet. We had launched one smaller rocket the year before 2017. 
2018, we had bigger plans. They were just starting to understand kind of the design process and the different things going into it. So it's a lot more, let's see if we can make it happen based on what other people have done versus, you know, here's all the math, very strict. Here's how we're going to do it, which was fun. You know, it's lots of hands-on. Let's try something, see if it works. Again, it was a very small group moving forward, really just a core group of friends who moved through the group. My freshman year into my sophomore year, they all started to graduate. So that group really started to dwindle in size. Last year, we were a very small group. We had maybe eight core members or so, probably fewer, you know, the final days before the launch. So we, this year, we're very worried about getting enough people so that the club can continue to grow as we're starting to progress and get a little bit more technical. And this year, we made that happen. We ran a huge recruitment session. And we have about 35 interested new members who have been showing up to meetings, which is great. So I think we've got a lot of room to keep growing. That's huge. I was not expecting these. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So can you give us like a sense of scale of like how big the rocket is, kind of what power is it? Sure. It's about uh, 11 feet tall. And so this one that we're working and relaunching this weekend, actually over in Baybro, has two different motors. It's a serial stage rocket. And I mean, these motors are, they're big. So this one can go to about 8,000 feet and goes Mach 0.8. But then we also build one that goes to 30,000 feet. And that one will definitely crack the sound barrier. Wow. And it's solid fuel? Solid fuel. And where do you, where do I just like buy a rocket engine? Yeah, so that's, that's something kind of fun that we've been working through. They're pretty regulated. Federally, they're low explosives. So they're regulated by the ATF. So typically you have to have a license to buy them. We have a mentor who's licensed. And the way you get a license for rocketry is kind of interesting. They judge your level based off of how many high powered rockets you've launched and recovered. So to progress through the tiers, you have to launch bigger and bigger rockets and then you're eligible to buy those motors. So we purchased through him. For example, the federal limit for hobby versus explosive, is about 60 grams of propellant. The big one that we're going to use this summer for our 30,000 foot rocket is about 11,000 grams. So we're significantly across the border. We're at the very high end of what you can do with commercial motors for high powered rockets. Wow. And what schools are like pushing the limits on like highest rockets slash how high are those rockets? Uh, you got to look to USC and Georgia Tech, some exemplary programs, and they already have their own liquid fuel motors. So long term, we'd love to be at that level. So right now we just got to get the fundamentals with the serial staging and the solid fuel and then work our way up technically. Something super cool with USC, they call themselves the Rocket Propulsion Laboratory. They were the first completely hand-built student group to break the Kármán line, which is the recognized barrier to space. So they're the only, they built everything. They mixed their own solid grains for that rocket. It was a solid fuel motor, but they designed their own components so that they could mix those properly. They did engine tests to make sure they'd get the thrust they needed, built the whole airframe, built their own launch pad, and then launched it successfully. First student group to get to space. So that was just about a year and a half, two years ago. So pretty recent. That's very impressive. So yeah, that's all the questions I have today. Thank you so much for being on the show, JD and Jackson. And shout out to Aero Club. Hey everybody, I am here with Alexandra Gray. She is a junior studying mechanical engineering and biomedical engineering. And she is the head of suspension and wheels on the Duke Motorsports team alongside Sonny Lee. So welcome to the show, Alex. Thank you for having me. 
Yeah. So I just want to start off by asking, what is Duke Motorsports? What do you guys do? And a little bit more about your role. Yeah. So Duke Motorsports, we are open to students in both Trinity and Pratt. Our goal at the end of the year is to compete at Formula SAE Michigan, which is a competition that tests not only the car that we build through several events, such as an endurance run, as well as an acceleration run. But a big part of the competition is meeting with current experts in the field and presenting design justification and validation of any decisions that we made throughout the year to best optimize our car, as well as a budget presentation to show that we are best allocating the funds that we receive both through Duke and through sponsors of our club. And do you build a brand new car every year? Yes, we start fresh every year. There are some components that are reused, such as the engine. However, most components on the car are redesigned and rebuilt every year. What's the timeline like? So we have a one-year design process. We usually get together over the summer and start designing. We go over any feedback that we received from the judges the previous year, as well as any data that we acquire from the car and make decisions as far as how we can approve for the coming year. Usually by the time we arrive on campus, we have a general idea of what we want to do. And then we meet new members, get their input, kind of teach them a little bit about what we know, as well as allowing them to do some of their own research and giving them design projects. Our build time is usually the first semester, and then we spend the spring semester testing our car and iterating to prepare for the competition in May. Yeah, that's quick for a fresh car every year. Some teams do a two-year design cycle. That's something that we are considering going to in the future. It's entirely up to each university how they want to do it. That makes sense. And you touched on this a little bit, but I'm curious how new members or current members even learned how to do what you guys do. Yeah, it's really great. You don't have to have any experience to be on the team. Anything that you need to know will be taught by the leads or during workshops on the weekends. I personally came in with little to no experience. And within the first month, I was introduced to how to do SolidWorks, how to do simulations on SolidWorks, as well as just getting a general understanding of the car, of how each of the components play together and the roles of all the different subteams. So there's definitely a bit of an intimidation factor. I know talking to a lot of people at the activities fairs, they were concerned about not having any manufacturing experience or not knowing anything about the automotive industry. However, I think the team does a really good job of welcoming new members and teaching them anything that they need to know. That's great. So it sounds like there's good cross-grade knowledge being passed down. Yes, we are actually a very young team. A lot of our leads this year are sophomores, juniors, seniors. So we definitely have good class distribution. It's something where I'd say classes don't really matter amongst the team. It's all what you can contribute, what you know. There is a great deal of respect. And you genuinely kind of forget who's an upperclassman, who's an underclassman. It's just a bunch of friends working together to make the best car that they can. Yeah, it sounds like a great environment. It um, really is. I'm curious, some of the like, more crazy things that have happened, like have all the wheels fallen off the car at some point, or like, does it ever flip over? 
I mean, I'd be lying if I said it was perfect every year. There's certainly drawbacks. And this past year, we lovingly named our car uh, Twisted Sister. We had some issues with the frame and ended up cutting apart one of our past year's frames and welding it together. Uh, I believe one of the other contenders for the name was uh, Frankenframe. So it's not perfect. I'd be lying if I said it was, but it's all about what we can do to make it better in the moment. Great. Yeah, that sounds so fun. Thank you so much for teaching us more about motorsports. I will put your website and things in the bio so people can see more details. Perfect. Thank you. We are here today with Leo Akers. He is from Enable. He's going to be talking about his club, which is interesting and that it's a different perspective on engineering. So we're really excited to talk about that today. Yeah. Leo, will you go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so my name is Leo. I'm a evolutionary anthropology major. I'm a senior. Also have a global health minor thrown in there. I'm co-president of Enable. Lena is the other co-president. We've both been in the, in the organization since freshman year. Really seen it grow quite a bit since freshman year. That's awesome. What attracted you to Enable in the first place? Since I was younger, I've always been tinkering with things, you know, building computers, maybe aspects that would traditionally take you down the engineering path has been an interest of mine extracurricularly for a long time. I really saw Enable as a combination of that medical and engineering side, which was perfect for me, especially freshman year. I had no idea what I wanted to major in. Freshman year, I thought I was going to be a chem major, but soon after, I was like, none of my interests really lie in chemistry, so... Quickly pivoted, love the people at Enable, those who have since graduated, still in close contact with them. So mix of the people plus just that combination of engineering and medicine. Yeah, that's awesome. And from what I heard and what we talked about earlier, Enable's a really popular club on campus. We actually jump into telling us what Enable is, what your mission is, and what you actually do around here. Of course. To Duke Enable, we 3D print prosthetic and adaptive devices for people in the community completely for free. Computer-aided design, Fusion 360, all these different programs we use to efficiently create actual usable products for patients. Whatever they need, we try to create. A lot of times we work with younger people. So the benefit working with children, for example, is that 3D printing is a lot cheaper than their traditional prosthetic. So a $20,000 prosthetic for a kid who's you know three, four years old, they're quickly going to outgrow that. And it's almost no point in even investing so much into something like that not until you're quite a bit older. So with 3D printing, we're able to create a design that works for them. That's usable. They love it. And then as they grow up, we print another one. Or if they need specific attachments for holding a phone or crayons or so many different things, we, we really try and help them. Do you ever create devices for non-human clients? We definitely do. Team Riley this year is working with the dog. Continuation from team from past years. Riley the dog was missing part of her limb. And that team is really taken off trying to create. It's very different from an arm for a human, obviously. It's not weight-bearing. The weight-bearing aspect is actually pretty substantial in, in the design process. So that's been interesting. How to get grip, how to make it super comfortable for the dog, getting the right fit. It's actually quite a complex theme for yeah, non-human. That's super exciting. One thing that we found interesting and why we wanted to talk to Enable and you specifically is that you're not an engineer. And I feel like the perspective of Enable and a lot of clubs like this are as engineering clubs. So what would you say it's like joining a club like this as a non-engineer and sort of how does the engineering aspect of this club fit into what you want to do with your life and in the future? 
So just to begin, I would think when I first joined Enable, it was mostly engineers. Even now, it's mostly engineers. But over time, we really sought the value of bringing in other perspectives. So for me, from like more of a medical background, I've been able to, you know, hey, like this device, we can improve it in this way where the field is already doing this thing. So that's been super helpful. But still, generally speaking, we're probably mostly engineers still. But yeah, I would say that that value of a different perspective has been great. And then me personally, engineering going forward, I love the idea of creating something new. So like I'm sort of involved in entrepreneurship on the side. Again, I have so many interests and they all kind of align with the navel, but like, how do you make your recipient, your customer, the patient happy is like something that all three of my interests kind of align to, which Enable does. So for me, it's, that's how I apply it to my future. It seems like a really cool combo of lots of different things. The, the customer facing aspect of engineering and business, the social aspect of everything organizationally with all of the different teams. How many teams do you have in Enable? Right now, I believe we have seven, two of which are, are R&D, so research mm-hmm. and development. We can talk a bit more on that as well. The other five are sort of recipient teams, whether that's Team Riley, which is a dog, or the other four, which are, again, varying age of recipients, but all amazing team leads, you know, probably about six to 12 people per team. Yeah, quite substantial. It's easy to get lost in, uh, you know, just dealing with team leads, but when you see how many people they are looking after and creating little communities with, it's quite amazing. So Enable is more than just creating devices for the clients, right? Can you talk a little bit more about the research and development side? Yeah, of course. So research and development, basically, there's an overarching goal of creating a custom arm from the ground up completely by Enable that is able to move based off muscle impulses. So that's the general goal. A lot of our other devices are mechanically actuated. So the bending of the wrist or bending of the the elbow joint will open and close the hand to be able to pick things up. It's great for a simple design because we can make it for so cheap, but there's some instances where mechanical actuation just isn't possible. So say the client doesn't have that much strength or for whatever reason, we want a stronger grip, things of that nature. We're trying to get that electrical actuation to be pretty substantial. So the two teams, one is tasked with creating the custom arm 3D design, and they've come quite a long way. Enable has been around for a while now. So this is like, since I've been here, custom arm has been iterating, reiterating, prototyping, advancing their design, and it's getting quite close to being something final. And then the flip side of that is the neural net side. So this is the buzzword kind of group, but they look at machine learning and applying neural networks to actually receive code from the sensors that will be attached to the forearm of a recipient and translating that into like actionable motion in the prosthetic. Pretty fancy stuff, basically. The idea is the combination of those two will create like a final product that we can adapt, easily change, and then have some real use for something that in our eyes is not going to cost, you know, the full 20, 30,000 that traditional prosthetics are, are costing. Yeah, that's a very hefty goal. It's going to be, that'll probably outlive my time here at Duke, but hopefully within the next few years, we'll see something come out of that. Yeah, that's really awesome. So a lot of that stuff sounds like super complicated. Do you have a lot of people who come on with like no experience or do you have a people who are like, I'm very into this. I know exactly what I'm doing. I would say with Enable, we really pride ourselves in just taking in everyone wherever you are. And then we really created this support structure where we have the people who've been in the organization for a while, who've learned from the people who came before them. They help those coming up. Me, I had no technical experience. So I 
went to someone before me, right? So we try to keep that going forward. So we have this team of tech leads that host office hours. And then we have even our team leads hosting their own office hours to teach people. So you don't have to have any experience at all. The machine learning, I would say, is probably the steepest learning curve out of all of our groups. I mean, just the nature of a lot of it's coding, you know, teaching coding, going into the literature. Surprisingly, it's been more beneficial because those who have been really interested in it have stayed, learned quickly, and then are ready to start applying their knowledge. So, but I'm excited to see what they do this semester. That sounds super exciting. As the last question here, what would you want someone who's considering joining Enable to know? I really think that it's such a great opportunity to grow, regardless of your background, even almost like regardless of whether you're an engineer or not an engineer, you'll have the ability to learn if you want. You'll get that team learning aspect. And it really does feel like a mini startup the more you really look into it because you're quickly creating a product based off like real customer feedback. You're going through that whole design process, going back and forth with that person over the course of, I mean, really like our whole delivery timeframe is either semester or full year which is still pretty compact. So quickly, you, you have to learn how to lead a team if you become like a sub-team lead or eventually a team lead to so get the leadership experience. I mean, it, it hits so many key points in terms of like personal growth. I think it's such a great organization to be a part of and we're really making actual deliverable in- impacts quite frequently. So super rewarding to see that. Awesome. Thanks so much, Leo, for joining us today. Yeah, happy to be here. Hey everybody, my name is Fran. I'm here today with Jennifer Ganley. She is the director of Pratt Undergraduate Student Affairs, and we are very excited to talk to her about the engineering clubs on campus. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. So I wanted to just start off by asking kind of what is your involvement with the engineering clubs on campus? Sure. So I am here as a resource to all of our Pratt student organizations. I am not an engineer, so I am not a technical mentor, but I am here to help our clubs with everything else. So navigating campus policies. I think probably if you ask the clubs, one of the main things I do is help them with project management, planning big events, and Actually, the most important will be their budgets <laughs> and ordering the supplies that they need. Yeah, that's great. Do you help with getting them sponsors and things like that as well? So Kirsten Shaw, who is our director of corporate relations, is the best person to help with sponsorships. So normally if a student group comes to me and is interested in finding corporate sponsorships, I will direct them over to Kirsten. I do a lot with the alumni council. So we have an engineering alumni council. So I can help student groups more with finding liaisons or mentors within the alumni community. Yeah, that's something I found that people don't talk about as much is actually how important it is to have access to funding to be able to do these projects. So yeah, over four years, I feel pretty lucky to have access to funding to do whatever project I want. The thing I did get fixated on is that you said you help plan competitions for Lancey's Clubs go to. Will you tell me more about that? Sure. So one of the things that I love about our student groups is really, truly student driven, right? There's no, even though you have faculty advisors, it's not the advisor that's telling the student groups what to do. It's all come from the students. I help the student groups plan their travel. So our Society of Women Engineers, which I think you are talking to at some point this semester, they're going to Indianapolis for their big convention actually next month in October. So yesterday, I just sat down with them to book all of their flights, all of their hotels. So just making sure that all the details are there and they're ready to go once they get there and that they can get there safely and together. So a lot of the detail work in making sure that our student groups get to where they need to go. 
So all the big behind the scenes work that needs to be done. <laughs> yeah. And then we have other student groups like Hack Duke that hosts kind of really big events on campus. And obviously that has shifted now with COVID and kind of who can be on campus and how many people we can have on campus at any given time. But just connecting our student groups to key campus partners like our facilities team, housekeeping, grounds, just to make sure everything is good to go for them and they have all the support that they need. Yeah, so for those who don't know, Hack Duke is a hackathon event that happens on campus and students work on these coding challenges that solve social problems. They have tracks like energy and the environment, inequality, education, and health. One question I had in thinking big picture about clubs and their interaction with administration is how you think administration can better serve clubs on campus. That's a good question. And I feel like there's what we can do in Pratt, what we can do in Big Duke. And I think for our student groups, I would say that we're very fortunate within Pratt that one of the many hats that I wear is to advocate for our student group when needed and when we feel strongly. And our administration within Pratt is really responsive to that. So for example, last year when really student groups weren't supposed to be traveling, we advocated for motorsports to be able to go test drive their car in North Carolina and Arrow to go to Bayboro. North Carolina to launch their rocket. And we felt like these are really meaningful experiences for our student groups that in spite of all of the challenges associated with COVID, that our groups were still able to be successful and to build a car and build a rocket. And we felt it was really important for our groups to be able to see their project through to the end and be able to celebrate all that they achieved in the kind of crazy last year that we had. And so we advocated and we petitioned and we were able to get approval through upper administration and that was really meaningful. So I feel like we're really lucky within Pratt that we have very supportive administration. Our interim dean, Jeff Glass, has been a really great partner. And when I come to him and I say, I feel strongly about this for our student groups, and this is why, he's really receptive and he helps me get the green light for our groups. That's great. And I'm also thinking that you have just an interesting perspective in that since you interact with virtually every single Pratt club, you kind of get to see what makes them successful or not every year. So I'm curious if you've seen a trend and why certain groups maybe achieve more some semesters or some years and what is behind that success. I think there are, I would say, two main things that I can point to. One is just planning to hand over the reins. So some of our group, there's one or two students that are really, really involved, and the organization is doing amazing things, but eventually those students are going to graduate. And if they don't prepare for the next generation of leaders to take over, information and knowledge is lost. And then the younger students are kind of struggle to learn things that the older students knew and didn't necessarily pass down. Our groups are very fortunate in the sense that they have Pratt support and they get support through UCAE and SOFC, but those are different budgets and different processes completely. And if you don't know, sometimes a group will come in and say, we had no idea we had funding here. And that's major because our student groups need to make purchases and whatnot. So it's really important to plan to hand over certain leadership roles. And so I think the groups that are more successful are the ones that plan for that earlier in the year. And the other piece that I I would say, because we have a lot of student organizations. We have 30 or so now, and we're growing. Every semester, I get an email from another interested student who wants to start a really great and unique club, which is amazing. But there's a lot. And so communication is key. So I feel like the organizations that I can help the most are the organizations that come and talk to me and tell me what's going on. And that way I can advocate for them when needed in a much stronger way. Yeah. And I appreciate all the work you do. (laughs) 
My last question here will be what advice you have for freshmen who either want to start a club or just like navigating 30 different organizations and how they should figure out their best fit. That's a loaded question. (laughs) So first, I'll I'll just do general advice to first years. We have a lot of amazing organizations on campus, both inside and outside of Pratt. So my recommendation would be it's okay to explore your options. You should explore your options and go to however many interest meetings that you want. But ultimately, I think the best thing to do is to narrow it down to the groups that you're most passionate about so that you can get more involved and get the best experience from that group. I think it's just going to help with time management. Duke has so many amazing things going on. It's impossible for everyone to do everything. So explore your options, but then narrow it down. That would be my advice to first years. For starting an organization, at least in Pratt, it's pretty straightforward. We've had quite a few since I started working here in October 2018. So since then, we've Combat Robotics, Runway of Dreams, Project Tadpole, American Society of Mechanical Engineers, ASME, just restarted. So we have some groups that kind of go dormant, and then there's some students that want to re-up it, and then we have other groups that they just want to start something completely different. And so in Pratt, you can be departmentally affiliated And what we would need there is you would need to write a constitution and get a faculty advisor. And those are really the two main things that we're looking for if you want to start a new student organization. That was super useful information. I didn't even know that. Yeah, that's all my questions for today. I really appreciate your time and all the work you've done for the clubs. Thank Uh, you so much. And I just, if I can share, I do have an open door policy. So any student that has any further questions about clubs or organizations, they can certainly stop by my office, which is the third floor of tier. Great. Thank you so much. Thanks so much. Hey guys, it's Priya. I'm here with Ramona, Alexis, and Shami. And we're here today to talk about the amazing Pratt organizations on campus and societies. We can just start by going around and introducing yourselves. Hi, my name is Ramona Nasseri, and I am a senior majoring in biomedical engineering and minoring in chemistry and English, and I am the president of the Society of Women Engineers. Hi, my name is Alexis Almeida. I'm a senior majoring in mechanical engineering, and I'm the president of the Society of Professional Hispanic Engineers. Hi, everyone. My name is Shami Chidea. I'm a senior majoring in mechanical engineering with a certificate in innovation and entrepreneurship, and I'm the president of the National Society of Black Engineers. Awesome. So nice to meet you guys. Just to get started, can each of you tell me and our listeners a little summary of your organization, what you guys do, what you're about, all that jazz? Yeah, so the Society of Women Engineers is part of a larger national organization. So it's a collegiate and professional organization. So it can start in your collegiate career and last throughout your professional career. And at Duke, we focus on having an enriching environment for people that identify as female in Pratt. And we just try to host social events and connect them to industry and just have a positive environment for women. Yeah, so Nesby is a national org similar to Ship and Sweet that focuses on empowering the current and next generation of Black engineers. So our mission statement actually is to increase the number of culturally responsible Black engineers who excel academically, succeed professionally, and positively impact the community. So we have a pre-collegiate level for like high school students and middle school students. There's a collegiate chapter, which is what Duke Nesby is for, and then there are also professional chapters. 
And we focus on similar teacher and suite, professional development. Um, we also on campus try to make sure that we're creating a safe community for Black engineering students. And then we also love to volunteer in the community, which is a part of the positively impact the community part. So we do community service as well. And I love Nesby so much. It's my favorite org on campus. So I'm happy to be a part of it. SHIP is similar to SWEET and NISBE in the sense that we're part of a national organization and we have a professional and a collegiate chapter. SHIP's mission is to encourage members to seek leadership opportunities to prepare them for the workplace. So to do this, we have a lot of companies come in or we host workshops. Like this month, we're having a workshop for behavioral interviews. And yeah. Awesome. Sounds great. I'm signed up for the SWEET and SHIP emails. So I know you guys hold a lot of events for your members. Can you kind of go through some of your favorite events that you've held in the past or maybe some of the upcoming ones that are coming up in the future? Um, yeah, so one of the biggest things that we focus on every year is our National SWE Conference. So that's been one of my primary goals as president has been to drastically increase the people that can attend in person. So I think my sophomore year. We had about four people go in person and now we're sending 16 and we'll also have eight more people virtually. So that's a huge thing that we do where it just provides a lot of opportunities for networking and it'll be in Indianapolis. So that's an event that I'm definitely looking forward to in the next month. And in the past, one of our events that I thought was the most successful during the virtual um, restrictions that Duke had was when we had a professor panel and we invited some female professors from each department to kind of talk about their careers and any advice that they gave students. And I thought that was really powerful, being able to see a female engineer to be in an important role and someone that mentors a lot of our students too. A lot of them have had those professors. So those are some of the two big events. And then we also just had our sweet picnic, which was a great opportunity for our different like buddies and members to meet each other face-to-face for the first time in over a year. So our biggest event on campus would be our National Diversity Dinner, which takes place in February. What this event is, is we invite several companies let's say like 10 companies and they are sort of put into a group with students and then that gives students the opportunities to sort of just network. This year, if we do it virtually, we're going to have five minute sort of interviews with each company. Another huge event is the national conference, which is in November. This year, so far, we have 10 students joining us and then we're hoping to get some more funding to have three more students, hopefully. And this event It's where a lot of students end up getting their jobs or internships. So, but yeah, those are our two main events. Yeah, NSB is similar in that we also have uh, national conferences, but ours is actually in the spring. So normally we send like 10 to 20 students to somewhere in the U.S. for the national conference, which is always a really great time. And then we also have a fall regional conference, which I guess is like a scaled down version of the national conference just for people within the region. So like from D.C. down to Atlanta. So those are two really great events that are off campus. In terms of on-campus events, my favorite event is our lock-in. We normally have it the Sunday before MLK Day. So normally a bunch of students, we go to the Mary Lou, which is the Center for Black Culture on campus, and we just have a lock-in. We all hang out, we watch movies, we play games, we just do whatever. All night, we crash, and then we wake up really early to go to the Durham School, I believe, to pack lunches for MLK Day. And it's always a really great time just because one, we get to bond with each other, but then the next day we get to make sure that we're taking care of, you know, other people in our community as well. And then another event that I really love is actually a week-long event. Is We call it the Unapologetically Black Engineering Week, 
where basically we hold like a series of events throughout the course of the week, like some of which are social, some of which are more professional. One of my favorite events from that week was when we invited a bunch of alumni to come onto a panel and just talk about their life experiences. And it was really cool just hearing what everybody's doing once they graduate, you know, like some people are going down like conventional paths and then some people are like completely diverting, going into art or different things. I don't know. So it's really good to hear people's stories. Yeah, those all sound great. I know one thing a lot of people usually say they benefit from joining these kinds of organizations is just the resources they get and also the sense of community. And you can really tell that from how you guys talk about your organizations and these events. So that's great. I just have one last question. How has your organization changed over the past few years recently, maybe since you've joined or from what you've heard from the alumni, how it used to be a few years ago? How has your organization changed in the recent years? So when I came into Duke, I noticed that our SWE section had kind of fallen off a little bit and we didn't have as much community engagement as SWE has had in the past. And I have a background with SWE from before I even started college through my older sister, who has been the SWE LA president for a few years. And so I had been exposed from a younger age to the organization. And when I came into college, I knew it was definitely something that I wanted to be a part of. So we, in the past couple of years, have really been trying to push to revive our SWE section because it's really important to have this safe space for women in engineering. And so... Unfortunately, because of the pandemic, it kind of gave us a little bit of a delay in our start because we had to host everything virtually. And that was when we were having a very like proactive exec board for the first time in a while. So the previous presidents, Annika and Alexa, did a really great job of setting us up during the pandemic for success for this year. And now we are able to, as I mentioned, host events in person, and we're seeing a better turnout than we did virtually, which is a really good thing to see. And we've been getting a lot of freshman engagement. So the organization's kind of being reborn, I guess, and we're trying to start and make it more of a stable and active campus organization. So hopefully by the time I graduate, which I think that the exec board is really young and the members are really young. So it definitely makes me hopeful that after I leave, it'll continue to be as active and stable as it has been so far. So I actually joined SHIP my junior year, and I didn't realize that we had a SHIP at Duke before then. So I guess my first objective as president was just just sort of get more freshmen and sophomores and just like make SHIP more known on campus. So I can't really speak to how much it's changed since freshman to senior year, but I do think that so far we've done a pretty good job at getting more of the freshmen and sophomores involved. That's through either like connecting with other student Hispanic groups on campus, like LASTO. Also, we're trying to get more computer science students involved, which we've had a couple join so far because since we have the word engineer in our ship title, I guess computer science students don't think they're really included in this. So we're trying to get more computer science students involved. And also, we actually don't have many girls, which we call like Shiptinas. So that's another mission we have for this year. And I think just as a female president, then I think, you know, hopefully we can accomplish this or like move towards that goal a little more. But um, yeah. I really love the term Shiptinas. That's very, very cute. And congrats yeah. on being the first woman president. <laughs> yeah, it's um, yeah, it was pretty fun because we had our VP who's abroad ended up being a girl as well. So it was like two on the same year. And then we're getting a bunch of girls to join, <laughs> which we're excited about. No, that's great. I really love that. 
I would say Nesby is very similar to Ship and Sweet. I personally believe that underclassmen are kind of the lifeblood of Nesby. Like they give like a new energy to the org every single year. So I wouldn't necessarily say that like us trying to focus on supporting them is a new goal, but it definitely has been a bigger priority, especially considering that this year it kind of feels like we have two years worth of our series, really, because of the pandemic. And I would say like our composition has kind of changed a lot, especially because there's an increasing number of comp sci students, like Alexis mentioned. So we're seeing a lot more comp sci students. We're trying to make sure that they feel welcome in Nesby because of the same thing with the engineering at the end, making them feel like a little iffy about joining. And then also like people who are non-comp sci and non-prat can also join as well. You know, as long as you're a part of the mission or you believe in the mission and, you know, if you feel like you can be a benefit to the org and the org can benefit you, then you can definitely join. Awesome. Congrats, all of you guys, on achieving your positions in your organizations. And to our listeners, if SWE, SHIP, and NISBE sound of interest to you and you are interested in joining, be sure to reach out to Ramona, Alexis, and Shawnee. I'll be sure to link their emails on the website. And thank you guys so much. Okay, Grant and Priya, so we've had some great interviews, and Grant, you were looking more along the design social space and had a good interview with Enable. What was like the key takeaway that you had? Yeah, so I had a great interview with Leo. Both Reina and I worked on this one, and he was a really cool person to talk to, I think specifically because he's the first interviewee we've had on the podcast who's not actually an engineer. But he was still working with Enable, very intimately involved with everything they do, and self-recognized that Enable is an engineering-focused club. And he was talking about how there's so many different opportunities within Enable for people to get involved in different sides of things. Now, he sort of found a passion for organizing projects and being sort of a leadership-type role of a larger organization, and also how he loves the connection with the actual clients all of the kids that they get to help build prosthetic arms for. And I just thought it was a really, really cool conversation about sort of the both less engineering and more engineering side of engineering clubs that you can get into. Was he part of leadership or was he just a general member? I believe he's now part of leadership, yeah. And I love that you can be a part of what would be considered like an engineering club, but still have non-engineers, Trinity students, because I think that that's a nice thing about extracurriculars, that it's a much bigger space than even just engineering. I will say, and I'm going to give a call out to Henry, one of our mechanical engineering students like six, seven years ago actually started Enable. So there's a lot of potential if you can't find an extracurricular that's the right fit for you, you can start and it can really take off because Enable's huge now. Yeah, Enable's absolutely huge. It was actually talking about this, about the sheer insanity. I think they had 200 something people sign up for their interest meeting to come check out Enable, which is just mind blowing to me. He also talked about how there were really opportunities for people, depending on how involved they wanted to get and what specifically they wanted to get involved in. There's a team that I didn't even know about that's working on building a prosthetic arm that works off of nerve impulses instead of off of the mechanical motions. So for patients that don't have physical joints and limbs that can move the arm, they can still use that. And they have a whole team doing some AI and machine learning work that there's definitely a high learning curve for. But for the people who are really passionate about it, they have those opportunities. And then on the flip side, there's a lot of stuff for people that might have a little bit less time to get involved or might not want to put the deep, deep work in there. There's still opportunities for them as well. That's great. Now, Priya, you interviewed three different groups, organizations in one interview. And how did that go? 
It was great. It was nice seeing all the organizations talking and then realizing all the similarities they had as far as their main goals were mostly just trying to provide opportunities and resources to their members and provide a safe space and community within their minority group. And it was really nice seeing once we stopped recording and they were just talking and they were trying to exchange information so they could set up some collaboration events. So that was really nice to know that we brought these people together and something bigger will come out of it. That's excellent. Okay, so lots of clubs, lots of organizations here at Duke. We were able to just talk to a few that we thought were interesting, but a lot out there and really encourage everyone to try and find a club, an organization, a group, a community that fits. And if not, create your own, right? Okay, thank you. This Engineering Life is brought to you and supported by the Pratt School of Engineering at Duke University. A special thanks to all of our interviewees for sharing their experiences. Be sure to check back in two weeks when we'll be chatting with the Duke Pratt community about animals on campus. You can find this episode and more resources online at thisengineeringlife.com. I'm Fran. I'm Priya. I'm Raina. And I'm Grant. And thanks for tuning in to today's episode of This Engineering Life. We'll see you again next week.